The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. We're going to go ahead and get started, everyone. And if you don't mind, if everyone could go ahead and mute themselves so we can have a clear line, that would be great. And good morning, good afternoon, good evening to all of you and welcome to the third class of the Worldly Winds, such an appropriate teaching for these days and these times. So it's been a month since we met and um, I don't know about you, but <laughs> I need a reminder of like, oh yeah, where are we at with this class? So we have covered so far the first couple of classes. We covered the worldly winds of pleasant and unpleasant and of gain and loss. Uh, let me step back one and just say pleasant, unpleasant, or pleasure and pain, for those of you who were wondering if that's the same. And then today, we're going to be talking about praise and blame. And just a reminder for us all that really the umbrella teaching for the worldly winds and the overarching teaching, core teaching, if you will, here is on equanimity. So how to remain balanced and stay on course, if you will, stay on course in the middle way when the winds blow, as they will, as they do, as they have. So how to remain at ease, balanced, and at, at some kind of sense of equanimity when the winds blow. And the Buddha in his sutta talked about the run-of-the-mill uninstructed person will typically get caught and entangled by these winds. And the way he describes it, I really appreciate. He says that, um, the reason that those of us who are uninstructed and run-of-the-mill people, um, we get caught because we're not mindful. He uses the words, you know, one does not reflect. So we're not mindful. Oh, unpleasant arose or pain arose or, oh, that's my wanting to push away loss. So that we're not mindful when these winds show up because we're involved in reactivity, caught. And um, the second piece is that I also have been thinking a lot about this month is that we get caught because we don't see the impermanent nature of everything, but in particular of the winds, that they're constantly changing going back and forth. And, and so the Buddha talks about the fact that we don't actually see reality as it is when we don't see the impermanent nature. So given that these winds are going to come and they do come and we've all experienced them coming, 
So the teaching is how to skillfully respond to them in a wise and compassionate way as best we can, right? As best we can. And and sometimes we fall and we forget and then we remember and and then we get caught in reactivity again. And that's all part of being a human being. But a class like this for me helps me to remember and um, remind myself of when the winds are arising and also when they're passing. So with that as an introduction, let's move into a guided meditation. So inviting you to get into your meditation posture of choice. And gently close the eyes. And if you're open to doing so, Thich Nhat Hanh says that turning up the corners of the mouth ever so slightly, creating a light smile that this relaxes the body. So see if this is true for you. And I'm going to start by reading a quote from Pema Chodron about these worldly conditions. Well-being and a sense of peace comes when we can see the infinite pairs of opposites as complementary If there is beauty, there must be ugliness. If there is right, there is wrong. Wisdom and ignorance cannot be separated. This is an old truth, one that men and women like ourselves have been discovering for a long time. Now gathering our attention and coming home to the body by starting out with a couple of long, deep breaths. Bringing some oxygen into the lungs. Feeling the rising and falling of the chest. And feeling the breath as it flows in and through.
Noticing on the inhale, if there is a slight increase in energy or alertness. And noticing on the exhale, if there's a slight sense of release or relaxation. What does it feel like for you? And every turning to your natural way of breathing, if you haven't already. And feeling the weight of your body on the seat, whatever you're seated on. Or the weight of your body if you're lying down, whatever your body is connecting to. And feeling the body releasing into and being supported by your chair or whatever you're lying down on. And from this place, this steady stance, allowing the spine to naturally align into an alert and relaxed posture. Allowing the crown of the head to float upwards. Softening the area around the eyes, the temples. And then resting the tip of the tongue on the roof of the mouth. And this helps the jaws to relax. Let's see if this is true for you. And allowing the neck to line up with the back body by moving the chin slightly down and back. And allowing the shoulders to drop away from the head. And sensing into, seeing in your mind's eye, the shoulder blades sliding down the back.
and letting the hands rest wherever they are, maybe on your the upper thighs or perhaps your hands are clasped together. Just allowing them to rest. And sensing into the area around the belly. And in whatever way you can, see if you can soften this area and allow the belly to fall forward and down. And then sensing into the thighs and the knees, the calves and inviting the muscles of your legs to soften and relax. I'm feeling the bottoms of the feet Connected to the floor, the earth below. And then allowing any remaining tension that you sense in the body to be released out through the feet into the, the earth. Shining our awareness on various parts of the body helps to harmonize our mind and body. And this can bring about an overall feeling of stability, steadiness, equanimity. So see if this is true for you. What sensations are present for you right now? Lee Lesser, who is a teacher of sensory awareness, says that our sensations guide us 
to the wild, fresh terrain of each moment. Our sensations guide us to the wild, fresh terrain of each moment. So on your next inhale, bring your awareness to the whole buffet of sensations within you right now. What sensations seem most predominant for you? Can you sense into the flow of energy throughout your body? It may take the form of vibration or tingling, or it could be very, very subtle. Just seeing if you can sense into the flow of energy in your body. And if there is any area of the body that feels contracted or tight in some way, inviting you to send some breath into this area, allowing it to soften and open up the muscles. So when we're mindful of the sensations in the body, as we have been in this sitting, when we are embodied, we're more able to remain steady and still grounded and centered when the worldly conditions do blow our way. Now moving the awareness to the area around the chest and the heart center. 
And sensing into your emotional body, what feelings or emotions are present for you right now? And if you're unsure of what emotions are present for you, you can get a sense of this by listening to the tone of your inner voice. Is your inner voice gentle or more harsh? Patient or impatient. Joyful or a bit grumpy. And in what ways are your emotions changing? Are they intensifying? Moving more towards neutral? Or maybe fading away? The Buddha encourages us in many suttas to notice change, to be on the lookout for change, and to see how everything is in constant motion. It's often quite easy to see change in nature like the clouds moving across the sky or the sun rising and setting. Or the winds blowing, changing in direction and intensity as they do. And as we come to an end of meditation, I'm gonna read a quote from the Spirit Rock website having to do with the worldly conditions. Pleasure and pain, gain and loss, praise and blame. 
come and go like the wind. To be at peace, rest like a great tree in the midst of them all. To be at peace, rest like a great tree in the midst of them all. And to end this meditation, taking a couple of deep breaths. Bringing your awareness back into the room. And when you're ready, slowly opening the eyes. Okay, so with that as an intention to get us settled, we're going to move into the first breakout group. And as we did in the last two classes, uh, the first breakout group is to share about what you learned from the last pair of opposites, which was gain and loss. We had some a handout and some reflections offered for you to practice with. And now we'll offer an opportunity for you to share with each other what you learned as you did these reflections and practices and um, I'll just mention a few of the questions in case uh, you don't have these reflections in front of you. Um, so what views and beliefs do you see in relation to gain and loss? How do you relate to the possibility of losing what you gained? How has your relationship to loss and gain evolved over time? And then the, the bonus or optional question or reflection was about the elections. And um, one of the invitations is to practice tuning into the body, keeping the mind clear, the heart open, acting for the good where you can, turning the simple embodied mindfulness, compassion, patience, equanimity, and don't know mind where it's difficult. So these were all ways 
to help balance out any anxiety or distress that was present for you this past month. Cultivating that balance of that stance of balance. So that's what you'll be talking about in your groups. Is that clear to everyone? Anyone have any questions? Okay. All right. Most of us are back. So welcome back. And we have about four or five minutes here um, to hear from you about what was spoken about in your groups, what you found inspiring or challenging or anything else that you want to share about your conversations. And um, I'm going to also, <laughs> sometimes people are shy about talking. So I'm going to put in a plug about uh, it's an act of generosity to share with the group so we can all hear what was going on in the conversations. So with that, who, anyone want to say anything about what it was like in your group? And you can just raise your hand or unmute. It's a small enough group. You can also use the electronic hand too. I'll check that. Kate. Yeah. Um, well, I was just thinking with 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 all all the you know with gain and loss how how, how they are always um, there's always a bit of both that are intertwined, and I was just remembering um, um, a bereavement that I had, someone I love very dearly, um, and was a huge loss, and still is a loss. But it actually showed me how much kindness and support I had from family and friends around me um, that really, um, I, I, I kind of, I wasn't aware how much kind of love and care people had for me until that time. And, uh, and I've just noticed that on any, any kind of losses that I've reflected on. Um, and similarly with gains as well, um, you know, I know, you know, when I retired, which I was very fortunate to be able to do, but there was an element of loss there of losing the role and being part of a team. So just seeing the mixture that how, how they're intertwined and there's kind of positive within both and some loss within both. Thank you so much, Kate. Uh, I really appreciate those two specific examples because I have heard those from others as well, you know, the gain and loss that that's the flow. So thank you for bringing that up. And who else? I'll go next time, Ram. Uh, we had a great uh, group discussion with uh, Tatiana and Michael, and uh, I was literally touched by uh, uh, what they shared. 
uh, and particularly Michael sharing about uh, him walking away from uh, corporate life into uh, the Buddhist life. And the transition he made is very much where I am, although he has a 10 to 12 year lead <laughs> on me. But when he doesn't view that as a loss, that was really beautiful to hear him share. Uh, in my case, uh, my loss in the last 12 plus, nearly 12 months is uh, my mother lives in India and I go there probably, I used to go there every three months, four months to visit her. Uh, she's in her mid-80s and uh, she's uh, uh, she'd love to come and uh, have me come and visit her if she's not in a great position to travel. But since February this year, all travel to India has been come to a halt. <laughs> and I, I, I lost an opportunity to go meet her. And that wanting is pretty strong for me. <laughs> and it's almost, uh, I'm kind of helpless about that, right? The, I can rationalize that saying that this too shall pass, things are going to get to normal and it's a question of time and I'm going to see her again. Um, but uh, the certain forces uh, take over this rational thinking <laughs> and there's a helplessness with that. Right? And uh, and as I was reading about this um, worldly winds, particularly I was able to notice the more I rationalize, the resistance becomes stronger in my mind. Right, the rationalization I have to let go of the rationalization ability. Then probably I, I sense that resistance uh, is lessening, right? And I just have to accept uh, this loss is temporary. This will move on. I'll get a chance to fly out there hopefully soon, right? So it's kind of a self-talk mode I am in, but it does kind of relate to this particular. Uh, worldly win for me. Thank you. Well, thank you, Ram. Um, I I love what you shared, and um, it it brings out a really important point, which is there's the mind, and then there's the heart, and the heart just is breaking, right? And um, and the rash the rationalization and all of those self talk. Um, you know, that's, that's an option. And I know what I've done in those times, I'm sure all of you have, including you, is going straight to the heart and bringing that sense of, ah, oh, this is a moment that I'm suffering. This is a moment my heart's breaking. You know, can I be with my own heart? Can I attend just like you would a friend, just like we would friends, you know, like, I'm so sorry. I, I know this is painful and to send ourselves compassion and, um, so I love that you bring this up because it's really a good point about how to work with worldly winds. There's so many different ways to work with them, just depending on where we're at in the in the moment. And when the heart breaks, we attend to the heart. So thank you. And um, it is time for us to move on to... Chris's talk. So Chris, I'll hand it over to you. Thank you. So just want to introduce the subject of praise and blame. I, I don't know that it's always blame. Maybe it's praise and criticism or approval and disapproval. 
all these things that fit into this category that can be so fraught. Sometimes I think it's this pair of words that attracts people to this uh, worldly winds teachings because we can all relate to how much suffering comes around criticism and approval and disapproval. So, of course, these are building on the basic feeling tones of pleasant and unpleasant, the way we experience them as pleasure and pain, the way we then add the interpretation of gain and loss as if we were gaining something or losing something or able to hang on to something to it. And then when we get to this level, we're adding in the interpersonal. On top. I mean, of course, loss has a lot, gain and loss can have a lot to do with interpersonal also, as, as both of you just spoke about. But particularly here, the essence of this is this negotiating the world of other people's other minds, other people's views, other people's experience, and how do we how do we flow in a society of people expressing their opinions pro and con and our opinions pro and con? And how do we do that in a way that is not so much suffering? So it's been interesting to me to kind of tease out two ways of, you might say, caring about other people. One of them is a a truly relational way, you know, where you care for their their welfare, each other's welfare, there's caring for, there's respecting each other's point of view and wisdom, and they're sincerely exchanging views and expressing, you know, we can learn from other people's wisdom, we can, we, there's, there's a lot of wholesomeness in relationship that involves a lot of expressing opinions of agreement and disagreement and so forth. And then this slides into for some of us, a less wholesome state where we're really in relationship to our own image in the mirror of other people's opinion, you know, and we're, we're giving away too much to, to another person's point of view without really staying grounded in our own, our own actual experience. So we're sort of seeding our own experience for the sake of social conformity and and agreement and sometimes that's wise but it's wise if it's done mindfully and consciously like i'm going to set aside my my view here and and go with someone else's but if you don't even know your own view because you're always looking for what other people's view is then that can get that gets to be unhealthy so um we've talked about greed, hatred, and delusion being the three roots of suffering. And of course, obviously, we tend to want more praise and and want to avoid blame and criticism at all costs sometimes. But also, so what delusions, what, what kind of delusions are at play when we get caught up in suffering around these? One, of course, is this whole world of attributing fixed qualities to ourselves, I'm a good person. I'm a bad person. So if someone, you know, we often take in, we hear criticism that way, like, oh, they're criticizing me, not just play of conditions that happen to lead to me doing something that the other person did not think was what they wanted. You know, that's, that doesn't need to go to, I am a bad person or praise somebody like we did something good. Conditions came together so that we're able to do something good. Or we are able to do something that somebody else agrees with us is good, but you know if if you haven't if you haven't got your own sense that yes that 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 was 
that was a wholesome thing to do, or yes, this is a beautiful poem that I wrote or something, then there's not really, there's not really that deep sense of, yes, we're, we're, we're agreeing, we're seeing, we have a shared sensibility and that's a beautiful thing. It's just, it's important to keep your own point of view, to know your own experience, to keep evaluating your own experience, learning from other people's points of view and, and bringing these things together. So this tendency to attribute things to a self, then it turns into, if we get kind of addicted to that, you know how it turns into a little bit of a concern with appearances over substance. Would you rather be seen to be, would you rather have praise or would you rather do something that to your own judgment is praiseworthy, whether they praise it or not, right? Or if you've done your best on something, and somebody doesn't like it, is how much is that going to throw you off? So, so we lose the sense that really it's up to each of our systems, as the Buddha said, see for come and see for yourself, put into practice what you learn from all sources and see if it feels to you that it's leading to the wholesome, if it's leading toward away from suffering or toward suffering or for you and other people. So staying on the path, staying on the path of wisdom and your own integrity. So, um, you know, social conditioning and other people's views, they don't very often, unless they're very wise other people, take into account your peace of mind, your access to joy and happiness and the meaning of life. That, that, that is not often factored in in someone else's point of view. So it's up to you to factor that in. And it can shift how you evaluate your experience. So what we can cultivate these ways of, there, it's joyful to learn to the experience of doing something or refraining from something on its own merits, according to our best judgment. This is how we learn. And it's deeply satisfying to be, to be learning, to keeping your own, your own system's point of view in mind as it changes and learns. And we're the benefit. We are, as the teaching goes, we're the heir to our own karma. So if we're doing things just to please other people or in pray and seek praise for other people or not doing something out of fear of criticism from other people, then Nevertheless, it's our karma. <laughs> so we're getting, you know, we're having the results of whether we have acted skillfully or wholesomely or not. So bearing that in mind, the joy of experimenting and trying things, you know, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work. And also, paradoxically, it's hard to actually learn from other people. You know, something in us is, is, less willing to accept genuine criticism or or accept and appreciate genuine praise if we're not internally free to take it or leave it in a way so if you're addicted to praise it just it's like any other addiction you just have to have more and more and more and it becomes less and less connected to the the ground of reality or if you're afraid of criticism you can be completely shut down to where you don't try anything that might ruffle anybody's feathers and so this inner freedom to to 
evaluate other people's point of view and you might decide to learn something from it. You might decide to go along with it, um, but you know what you're doing and why you're doing it. That freedom actually allows you to, to fruitfully consider other people's points of view and expand your own horizons in some way. So just specifically, a few specifics about working with, say, receiving praise. Isn't it interesting that sometimes we feel a little edgy around receiving praise? I don't know if you, if what is that edge? You know, it's like that there's some warning in us that, well, we might, we might get addicted to this or we're taking it personally. And it, there's a sense that it's somehow strengthening the not so healthy sense of self. It has that potential, maybe. So it can be interesting to look at what's uncomfortable about praise. Um, also, considering, you know, what what is your, it's, it's your evaluation of the other person's wisdom. There's a passage in the suttas that we don't, we don't recognize the value of praise and blame when it's spoken by foolish, ignorant persons who speak without having investigated and evaluated themselves, but we do, we should, if, if they have, then we can listen to it. Um, yeah, I remember a very interesting time in the early days of the IRC kitchen, which I was involved in setting up the menus for and things. And boy, that was the first few retreats. There were a, a, a real praise and blame ride there because, you know, people loved it or people had criticisms of it. And I would sit at the closing circle. There were often many comments about how the food was. And I, I was kind of riveted with my ears to, oh, how's the food? And and gradually over a few retreats, I was so relieved to let that go and realize, oh, it's good if nobody mentions it at the closing circle. <laughs> That's actually, they're practicing. They're not just here to eat. <laughs> so, so I began to be happy when the subject was just kind of fell below the radar and didn't didn't get so much praise and blame. And it certainly cut both ways, you know, food, boy, there's a lot of opinions about that. So, um, so just a line from the Tao Te Ching that kind of sums up this. Care about other people's approval and you will be their prisoner. Do your work, then step back. The only path to serenity. So I used to carry that around as a little little uh, sticker on my purse. <laughs> so when we when when we're of course it's harder when we're taking in blame, criticism, disapproval. The Buddha says a person who is reproved should be established in two things: in truth and non-anger. If others should reprove me, whether they do it at a proper time or kindly or not. I should still be established in those two things. I know, if I know there is such a quality in me, I tell him it exists. This qual- Yes, this quality is found in me. Like, yes, I'm, I'm, you know, I lied or whatever you're being accused of doing. Or if you know there is no such quality in me, you tell him it does not exist. This quality is not found in me. So being willing to examine yourself, even hearing criticism from people when it's spoken angrily, spoken heatedly, being able to step back and examine yourself, is this valid criticism? And admit it if it is, not if it isn't. Um, uh, 
Yeah. So this relates to these qualities of hiri otapa, which kind of are the, the conscience factor where, you know, you know what is true remorse. If you've done something wrong, it's appropriate to feel remorse. And remorse is very different than blame and shame, self-blaming, self-hatred, self-shaming, which keeps that that keeps solidifying the self and it keeps your attention off of the actual action that you might perform to make it better. If you cause some harm, what can you do to make reparations, for example? So the more we keep focused on, oh, shame on me, I'm such a bad person, it's paralyzing. And it doesn't, it's, it's buying the delusion of self. It's not seeing the wisdom of the conditionality of what, what actually did lead to my doing that thing that I could cultivate more mindfulness, for example, more, more kindness, more understanding of other people's point of view can cultivate those things. Those are wise actions that then you can feel good about. There's no reason to dwell in shame and blame, uh, even for valid criticism. And the Buddha says, as the Buddha says, there's always blame in this world. If you say nothing, some people will blame you. If you say a lot, some people will blame you. If you say just a bit, some people will blame you. So, you know, not being thrown around by the world of other people's opinions, but really looking at what's, what's, uh, what you think. And then there's also some advice. The Buddha doesn't say never express disapproval, never, never express appreciation or agreement or criticism. The actual teaching here is that one who speaks dispraise of someone who deserves dispraise, if the dispraise is accurate, truthful, timely, spoken kindly, spoken with a heart of loving kindness, that's appropriate. And someone who speaks praise of someone who deserves praise and it's accurate, truthful, timely, spoken with a heart of loving kindness, then that's appropriate. So it's not that you're withholding your opinion all the time, but you're employing these qualities of wise speech, speaking gently, speaking at the proper time, speaking in a beneficial way. Is this really going to help the person? Can it be heard? Then you know, it's it's part of the exchange of views of being human and the way we navigate living as social beings with other people that we that we express these things. But you can avoid praising and blaming the person. You are a bad person is very different from that that thing that you said yesterday hurt me or that that action had these consequences that maybe I'd like to bring to your attention for you to consider. It's very different than you are a bad person. And you can, sometimes though, you can give others the gift. I mean, there's a lot of praise that's kind of, I don't know. You can be a little sparing in your praise. Give others the gift of sticking with their own, you know, being free from considering whether you like it or not. A gift in allowing them to carry on without that added self-consciousness or without the sort of any kind of unwise encouragement to take things too personally, like, oh, you're wonderful, you're so special. A lot of parents kind of talk to their kids that way these days, like, you know, you're so great all the time. And maybe, but that thing you did was good. You know, that's more, maybe more useful and more, uh, more helpful. So those are just a few of my thoughts on working with praise and blame. It's a long subject, could go on and on. But 
it's your turn to go on and on with each other and to look at uh, look at just take a first look at what some of your experience with this. So the question I'd like you to consider is, I think, um, can you think of a time when your inner integrity protected you from suffering over praise and blame? If, if you can't, you could think about how it might have helped when you did suffer over praise and blame. We all suffer from praise and blame. But it would be, I think, most helpful if you can think back on the time when you were able to stand up to those winds and what kind of inner qualities helped you steady yourself when those winds were blowing. Okay. You ready, Jennifer? I am. All right. We're going to have uh, groups break out now. See you soon. Okay, here we are. Here we are back. Yeah, so we have uh, we have a few minutes here. So it would be great to hear from some of you what came up for you in that discussion or what's triggered in your mind by this whole topic or questions or anything that's on your mind. Please let's just just speak up if you want to say something unmute and speak up i i had a question you you mentioned about praise and not praising people and letting them be like i, I want to hear more about how to practice that and how it's really kind actually well you know we were having an interesting discussion um in our little group while you were gone about use of the word appreciation jennifer brought this up and it is lovely to appreciate other people. But, you know, it's also, um, I'm mostly thinking of maybe when, say, a, a child is involved in making something creative, you know, uh, a, a parent could get over-involved in coming around saying, oh, that's great, honey. Oh, you're so talented. Oh, that's wonderful, honey. And it kind of takes the child's mind to self-consciousness instead of, you know, keeping with it. It could, you know, and so I'm just saying to be aware of, and what it really comes down to practicing with is looking at your own motivation for saying that and having a sense of timing and having a sense of whether you're, you're interrupting the person and diverting the person's attention to you and your opinion for, you know, rather than letting them stay with their own process, you know, without, getting your opinion front and center. <laughs> so that's kind of the, maybe I'm sensitive to that myself, but I, I was just, uh, that's kind of what I was thinking about. Not, not, uh, you know, your praise becomes a little bit meaningless if you praise everything all the time. I mean, it's, it's beautiful to have a, you know, to have a, not really. I mean, it depends whether it's coming from your heart. You know, if you really love people and you are happy and just appreciating, it's wonderful appreciation. People can't get too much sincere appreciation, but people can get too much 
phony praise or manipulative praise or praise that has to do with, you know, forcing someone to, I don't know. A lot of artists suffer, you know, when people praise, you know, their early work and never move on to their later work, you know, play your greatest hit again. You know, that's hard for some artists. (laughs) So I was thinking of those kind of situations. Thank you. Chris, I, uh, I also was reflecting on your, your comment about, about kids and, and, and parenting and uh, the notion about separating or at least discerning or, or having a distinction between praising the person and praising the, the action. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, just reflecting on how it would be, you know, with, 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 in my personal case, I'm a parent and we have, let's say, uh, that the child does well on a test. Uh, just knowing the difference between saying, wow, you're, you are amazing for getting yeah. a great get grade versus saying and, and encouraging and creating a condition where you, you know, for them by saying, wow, the hard work you put into that test really paid off. That must yeah. feel, that must feel good. Or, you know, let's, you know, uh, keep it up. Right. Um, and I've, you know, I've received praise like that from, from teachers uh, mm-hmm. in, in our tradition. And that meant a lot. Yeah. But then it all, and, and the idea of creating space and focusing the attention on the conditions, mm-hmm. that was a really valuable insight that you shared as opposed to the, the person. And then that made me think, well, why don't I do that for myself? Why do I reserve that just for how I relate to my children? Why don't I relate to other people and myself in that fashion? Because it creates so much more space. Like you said, it creates room for wise action. Uh You know, at least in our culture, the idea of this fixed self is very permanent. It's very hard to change. So if you're praising and blaming the person, it can be, it can feel good, but it doesn't leave a lot of room for wise action. Whereas if you, if you point out the action and you praise or blame, and it feels more like you're addressing, like you said, the conditions, and, and then there's an opportunity for wise action. So thank you for giving us some really something to think about in that regard. Thank you for amplifying that. You you explained all that very well. Thank you. Mary. Uh, okay, uh, Mary and Kate. Yeah, okay. I, I recently um, felt very moved by how loving my son and daughter-in-law have been with me for a long, long time. But more obviously, since this COVID thing, and I'm kind of trapped in my house, and and then I then I looked around at how they live their lives, and it isn't just me. They're just these really compassionate-hearted people that are doing things all over the place, you know, but never, never, never talking about it. So I felt really moved to to send them a text. And, and just acknowledging the kind of person they are, not what they're doing, but acknowledging their, their compassionate heart and the actions that they take and, and how whenever I'm with them, it lifts my spirit. And, and I felt really good about being able to be articulate about that. And I think it, I think it, landed well with them too so i was totally sincere about it i mean i was i'm kind of awed by them actually 
you know, and they're inspiring. And so I'm, I'm happy about being able to, to see that about them or anybody else, actually, any other person. So, uh, so yeah, it kind of helped me to be more articulate about, about other people's goodness and then kind of like, well, okay, am I like that at all? And then to begin to explore, am I, do I do that sort of thing too? So it, it's a good self-examination not to puff myself up, but just to acknowledge, because it's so hard to acknowledge the good things about mm-hmm. myself. It's just like, you know, well, big deal, you know? Yeah. But um yeah, yeah. So thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah, you know, sincerity is the name of the game here. Anything that's coming from your heart that you want, you know, appreciation, expressing that to people is, is beautiful. And, uh, you know, and yes, just what you said. Thank you. Yeah. Kate, you had something? You had uh, your hand? Yes, am I admitted? Yeah. Okay. Uh, two points. One is a follow up to Craig um, and uh, and to others who might not have um, read the work of Carol Dweck, W D W E C K, uh, about children who have a do they have a fixed mindset or growth mindset, and if they have a fixed view of their in- intelligence, they might not do anything that threatens that view of their intelligence. Mm. Um, so it's some of that praise of you're so wonderful, you're so great and you're so wonderful and you're so smart and, you know, et cetera. It's, I, I liked Craig's point about, you know, the, the effort. The yeah. second point um, has to do with the current political situation. And there are times when praise does not uh, um, land well when uh, you talk about how articulate some, shall we say, candidate of color is. Um, oh, Kamala's so articulate. Barack Obama is so articulate. Um, even though he is more articulate than the average bear, but the, um, uh, it can land that the expectation is that because they are a person of color, they're not expected to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, even I, it's, it's, that's even, I've, I've heard, heard of that as an issue. And then I also in my own life and completely different, I'm not a person of color, but I have an older sister who tends to gush. And when she goes on and on and on about how much she appreciates me and a wonderful thing I did. And you know, it's like, does she not expect that I'm capable of this? <laughs> you know, that's the feeling. So right. that's how right. I can empathize with how it, how the business about um, articulate can, can land. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's quite complex. The motives behind praise and the little sub and, and blame and all the sub messages that are being communicated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we could take one more. We're supposed to take a break now, but we could have a slightly shorter break. If somebody else wants to share one more thing. Sure. Yeah, Rob. Um, one of the, the best pieces of advice I was ever given was that 
um, stating what you feel is never wrong. Mm-hmm. And so instead of praising the person, you say, when you did what you did or you said what you said, I felt. Mm-hmm. And I just have taken that to heart big mm-hmm. time because mm-hmm. um, it, it creates connection and it, it's neither um, positive or negative from their point of view. It's just how you feel. Mm-hmm. And I found that extraordinarily useful. Thank you. Okay, shall we take a break? And we'll come back at 11.10 or in eight minutes if you're in a different time zone. So. <clears throat> okay. Well, maybe I'll just, just begin. Does that, seem, does that make sense, Chris, at this point? <clears throat> So I, uh, in preparing for this talk, I've been thinking about the drawbacks of this system, Uh, the whole system, not just the praise and blame aspect that we're exploring today, but this whole system is based on the assumption that we're not enough. Just as we are isn't enough. That we need something from the other to tell us that we're something special, something important that we're beautiful or that we're smart or that we're talented, that we're a great success. It's based on that assumption, just that we're not enough in ourselves. So we create this subject object relationship with the world, totally egotistical, totally about you're an object to validate me, to approve of me. And it's just a dream. I mentioned this dreamlike quality of our suffering last month, but just to reiterate it again, this is just a complete dream we've concocted in our minds. We go to bed and our dreams at night are often... um, born of hopes and fears. And then we wake up and we immediately start to daydream again about hopes and fears. So recognizing how the dreamlike quality that we're suffering over nothing but dreams can inspire us to take responsibility to somehow unhook ourselves from these dreams. So that's 
one concept. These are, these are views that can hopefully apply to disentangle us a little bit from this stickiness to this, to these, um, to these views. Another one, another concept is to see how, how this is such a hopeless venture, how it just doesn't have a chance of working. We um, spend many moments dreaming about this object, this object of our longing for or hoping for praise and fearing for blame. And there have been many objects all through our lives. There have been many focal points all of our lives on who's of value to give us praise and who's of value that might criticize us. We've been doing it all our lives. I, I think back to grade school. And junior high grade school, it was Jimmy Stewart and Sarah Brown. And junior high school, it was Sarah Baker and Mike Barker. And high school, it was Jackie Chastine. You know, it goes on and on and on. Uh, all through our lives, we have had these objects whose praise, whose recognition made us feel we, we longed for that to make us feel like we're whole, like we are um, valid in the world. And where are they now? All these ghosts of the past, they're just ghosts. At my age, I think many of them were dust. So these dreams are about ghosts or potential ghosts the dreams we have today about these objects of our desire will soon be ghosts. If not in a few hours, tomorrow, the next day, a few weeks, certainly within a year or two years. Think about all the ghosts that have passed through your life that have been so important to you. And where are they now? And we spend many, many moments on these dreams. Thousands of moments, maybe hours on these dreams of this, say, one particular object. There may be an object in your life right now whose praise you're longing for, whose compliment you're longing for, whose approval you're longing for, and whose criticism, rejection, marginalization, you fear. So after all of these hours of dreaming, the moment comes, we see the person. And let's say the smile comes when we see the person or the um, compliment, the approval, the gesture, something pot. And 
guess what? It turns out to not be much. It says in the scriptures, it's like we're, we're drinking salt water. We get that praise, but we just want more. It doesn't satisfy. And of course, if we get the other side of it, if we get the criticism, the rejection, then that's just sheer discouragement, upset, devastation, maybe heartbreak. So I was in business. And when, before we, I would open a business, start a business, I would do a profit and loss analysis. See if there is, you know, if this was, if the risk was going to reap a probable, reliable reward. From a cost-benefit analysis, this is a terrible investment in praise and blame. Thousands of moments, thousands of minutes, hours spent on something that doesn't really matter in the end. So seeing this from a historical perspective, the ghosts of our, of our lives, seeing the hopelessness and seeing the dreamlike quality. If we see these things clearly, it might help us to, when these objects come up, just see this is, this is a terrible venture on my part. My, might inspire us to unstick a little bit, to let it go a little bit. But what can really transform us out of this wind is what is called in Buddhism, bodhicitta. It's the pinnacle of Buddhist qualities, bodhicitta. It's not just awareness, but it's awareness that is infused with kindness. So what is this based on? You know, we just can't make this up. It's based on the insight that I I think you may, you may agree this is true, that Inside, you long to be happy. Inside, you long to be free from stress, from suffering, from these winds. Wouldn't it be nice to not be hooked into praise and blame and all the other winds that we have been exploring? Every human being wants to be happy. We may do it in all the wrong ways. Pursuing these wins is a pursuit of happiness, but a mistaken pursuit. But 
no matter putting that aside, the fundamental longing in us is to be happy, to be free from suffering. And every human being has it. People on the other side of the political aisle have it. People of all colors have it. People of all sexual preferences have it. We're inside just in this regard. We know inside we have all kinds of different conditionings and, and, um, but inside we're all the same in this, that every human being wants to just relax, have ease and come home to themselves where there's true ease. Coming home, putting on our slippers and our pajamas and just being at home, at home with ourselves. We all want that. So say I go into a room or you go into a room full of people. And you go in the room carrying your backpack of praise and blame. What is your experience when you go into a room with vigilance? Before you go in the room, you've got vigilance. I'm, oh, I'm going to this room full of people. I, you know, who's going to like me and who's important and whose opinion am I going to, who do I value going into that room and trying to find the right conversation and hoping for the best? A very stressful experience. And then when you leave, you may have gotten a little bit of praise or you may have not in any case. No self has been created that is a happy one from this experience. On the other hand, going into this room with bodhicitta, with this Insight, they're all in this room. Each person is of equal value. Each person is just like me inside. So, I, you know, this is kind of a, a, a universal concept, but breaking it down into the individual interaction with just this other person. He is just like me. He wants to be free. He wants to be happy. And so then I use my mind because I am facing another person and I don't really know what's going on inside of him. How can I, there's a compassionate, a compassionate response is natural when we consider we're all the same. So the curious mind would think, how can I be of benefit here? And maybe being a benefit is simply being calm, being at home yourself with this person. Or maybe being a benefit might be figuring out something to say to that person that would be truthful, but that would be be nice for them to hear. 
the Dalai Lama, when asked what is his religion, he, you know, he's the head of all Tibetan Buddhism, this huge religion. He says, my religion is kindness. And he's famous for whenever he meets anybody, he meets them as if they were his best friend. He looks into their eyes and greets them and talks to them. And, and, they, and people just feel so relieved to be with him, so embraced. So as a prompt for uh, small group discussions, I'd like to offer up the uh, inquiry as to when do you feel at home? What are the conditions? Where, what situations make you feel at home? Who are you with when you feel at home? Or maybe it's with yourself. Just exploring that. When do I feel most at home? And then maybe if you have time to explore, what's that all about? What's making me feel at home? Okay. So we'd love to hear from you. How about your discussions in your groups about what what makes you feel at home? What makes you feel at ease? And what are what is there about the those conditions that make you feel feel at home with yourself? And I, I can't see, I've got a little screen, so could you just please unmute yourself uh, if you'd like to say something? I think all of us had um, more or less the same idea that feeling at home comes when the people around you are really open towards you and don't judge you. And no matter what you're going to say, they they think it's okay. Um and I guess what 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 helps us to to be open in that way for other people is is what you said, right? Realizing that people just want to be happy and that we have this this thing in common. But of course, with that comes as well something that is really hard because sometimes I have people in my life who really who are annoying or who don't respect my needs or yeah, just rude. And I think that's it's. it's It's hard to be open towards them. On the other hand side, it's it's a relief that you can um, that you can see it that way, and that maybe they are not annoying by nature. <laughs> they just want to be happy. <laughs> But it's a hard one, I guess. Well, that's a beautiful a beautiful share. It's so accurate. What if somebody is annoying and, and our heart is not open to them. We just don't feel open, you know? So what is, what can we do? And I think you, what you said is exactly right. Then we just have to use our minds to see, even though they're making a mistake, they're going about it in all the wrong way. They want to be happy just like me. And maybe the best we can do is just not say anything, just not cause any harm. But just keeping that in mind, using our intellect, 
and using our skills to, nav to navigate that situation. So it's like an intellectual, it becomes an intellectual compassion, which is not bad. It's more accurate than a reactivity to their negativity. It's actually really good. Thanks a lot. So I had a follow-up question, David, to, to that. Um, like sometimes, like, you know, I mean, although I'm on this path of meditation, I feel like so reactive and so compelled to confront them. Like, you know, it's just in my body. I get obsessed with the idea. And many times I go ahead and I, whether wise or unwise, I go ahead and confront them and try to fix them. And um, sometimes I tell myself, oh, it's kind. Somebody has to tell them. I mean, is really never confronting people the wisest thing to do? Well, I don't think there's one answer to that. I think the answer is in you, in your own wisdom, in your own seeing the circumstance and having some, some contact with your own good heart, your own good intention. And what can I... What can I do here? There's no one answer. It has to come from you. And like I said to the uh, previously, maybe the best thing I can do is just not cause any harm. Or maybe the best thing I can do is just simply be calm with this person. Um, I don't want to cause myself any harm. So I don't want to use speech that's going to come back to me in reactivity that's going to cause me to get more worked up. No, no, I'm going to... So keeping kindness oh, in the background and letting kindness guide your wisdom. And maybe at some, in some situation, you might say, you know, I don't think you said a very... I don't think your opinion is, 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 is good and, and, and give them the reasons, you know, you know, just it's, it's your own wisdom to, uh, to navigate this delicate world of human interaction. And we'll make mistake after mistake after mistake. Hi, David. It's Kate. Hello, Kate. Uh, just to follow up on that, two things that Rob and I have found useful. And one is the classic um, that one often learns in interpersonal counseling is um, when you do X, I feel Y. Or when you say X, I feel Y. Um, without becoming reactive and saying Mm -hmm. you're this or that or you never do this and you always do that um the other is uh Thich Nhat Hanh has a peace treaty for people who live in um the place in France 
Um, Plum Village. Uh, yes, Plum Village. And, um, and Rob and I actually adapted that for our wedding. We didn't recite the whole thing, but we had it, had people sign the guest book as witnesses to our peace treaty. And the peace treaty essentially says, I want to make an appointment to talk with you about something that happened, say, yesterday. Um, but in the meantime, I'm, you know, I want to talk to you about it when I'm more calmed down. Um, but in, and then in the meantime, um, you, you uh, reflect on your own actions that might have uh, led to the, the problem. Um, and I, I like it because it's a good balance for me of not taking all the blame on myself, but also not putting all the blame on the other people. I'm really looking the other person kind of help me out here, babe. As an equal. <laughs> yeah. As, as an equal. I mean, you do follow through and you know, you're dealing with it. So you're not yeah. just, shoving it under the emotional rug, but um, uh, you're also considering your role in it when it's something yeah. completely egregious that, you know, you did not have a role in um, then, then the other one, when you did X, I felt Y would be the thing to do. Yeah. In, in my opinion. Great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Very skillful. Most of the time. You no, know, this, I, I, <laughs> It's a skillful approach. Yeah, this is um, I, I just want to put a shout out <laughs> since you brought it up for close relationships, not just going to a room with people that we're not so intimate with, but with your most intimate person who we can, ha- we can have reactivities with. To realize, to really intimately realize, because we know her or him so well, we know she wants to be free. She really wants to be free. She really wants to be happy. And maybe she took a wrong turn or something like that, but it can really help these intimate relationships to have a heart of bodhicitta, to want to be a benefit to that person, to want to be kind to that person to want to ease their way through their lives in any way you can. And maybe that's going to include giving them a big pass when they lose their temper or whatever. Okay, someone else? Maybe have time for one more? Well, I can say something. I think it is helpful for us to know our own triggers. And I think it is helpful to find the way of address these triggers in advance so we don't come with a skewed perception as much as possible. Because a lot of these problems start with perception because we might perceive the other human being as hurtful when in reality this is not their intention. Yes. 
this great Zen patriarch, Dogen Zenji, said, life is one mistake after another. Yeah. <laughs> we just do our best. Yeah. And we're wrong much of the time. But yeah. so what? Yeah. Just continuing with kindness um, is a good guide. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about, you know, the, these desires for these pleasures of the worldly winds which aren't, don't give us any much lasting pleasure at all. But just one reflection I have uh, on what maybe you'll agree, maybe you won't, but what, what really is pleasurable in life and what's sustainable in life, what's lasting in life is the ease of an open heart. So maybe, um, Chris, do you think it's time to bring it to a close here? Or should we take another question? What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't know. We just want to have a little time for to sit for a couple minutes. So either way, yeah, or, or sit. Oh yeah. So uh, yeah, let's let's relax into our meditation. And relax again. And give yourself permission to be completely at ease. Just at ease. Not even meditating. Just putting on your slippers and your pajamas and coming home. there are some thoughts just let there be thoughts you'll come back we always do and anyhow thoughts are as sacred as everything else If there are feelings, let there be feelings. Just allow whatever wants to happen to happen without judging ourselves. This is kind.
just giving up all control and surrendering to whatever's happening, feelings, thoughts, sensations, sounds around you. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Just being here. Being deeply at home. And in this allowing, in this non-judging, you might sense a little kindness. At the same time, being non-distracted, what is it like to be present and at home at the same time? non-distracted, easeful, effortless, natural, awareness. Okay, thank you. So, may all beings everywhere, people on, all beings on both sides of the political aisle, who just want to be happy, who just want to be free, just like us, People of all races, all religions, all sexual preferences. May all beings be happy. Benefit from this wish right now. This intention that we have. And may all beings be liberated from 
the chains of the worldly winds. Okay, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank Good you. See you. See you next month. Thank you so much. Yes. We'll mail out some summary reflections. Thank you, everyone. Thanks a lot. Right. Thank you. Will, will these uh, talks and guided meditations be on Audio Dharma? Uh, they're on a page that we have that we'll send out with our with our summary. We'll remind you where they are. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you.